Good morning, Outlook family. It's good to see everyone again. Can you believe it? This is Kayla Mosquera's last Sunday with us. I know, it feels like she just got started. Come over here uh, in the, with me here, Kayla. Uh, Kayla, it has been a delight for you to be our intern for the last few weeks. I hope it's been a delight for you too. Yeah, well, we have had such a great time. If you've gotten to know Kayla at all, you've had a real treat. Uh, and thank you for the hospitality so many of you have shown her, and uh, she's been living with Tamara and myself, and we've had a blast, and it's just been, it's just been great. So, Kayla, I wanted to give you the chance to say a word or two. Yeah, of course, I'll, I'll try to be quick, really, um, but um, like Rob said, thank you all for, you know, your hospitality, your, you know, your greeting, your welcome. I really do appreciate it, and uh, I really did find a forever home with you guys, so thank you so much. Oh, that's what we love to hear. Amen to that. It's been so much fun. We already have a list of things we're going to do when you get back, when you come back and visit us. So no, 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 don't go anywhere. We're going to pray for you, okay. Kayla, before, before you go. Let's, let's all pray together. Father, we thank you for Kayla, for who she is, the gift she is to all of us and to everyone who knows her. We're just thankful we're among those people now who know Kayla. Uh, Lord, we ask you to bless her as she flies out on Wednesday, that you'd order her steps and that the future you ha have laid out for her Lord, that she'll be able to just walk into that with confidence and joy in you, Lord Jesus. We thank you for her life. We thank you for sharing her with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, Kayla, thank you, very much. Love you. Love you. Someone had something to say there to you. I didn't catch what it was. But... Oh, ghost centurions. Yes, that's right. That's right. Love it. Love it. All right, there is uh, a running joke among our staff uh, that I use the word fun for things that are not so fun. Uh, and and it, they, may, they may, to some, seem like hard, challenging work. Like, so generally, if we're in a staff meeting and I say, this will be fun, everyone probably knows what that means is, we're about to do something that's a lot of hard work. Um, but I really mean it. In other words, I try to see the fun in all the things that God gives us, even the work he assigns to us. And maybe I have to admit especially that uh, I seem to find a lot of fun in that work. But I definitely feel like one of the things I've learned from Jesus is, the is a refined, deepened, expanded definition of what you might call fun. And that does lead us to today's Message. In this series, you heard Zach mention it, true or false, we're exploring the mixed messages and unhelpful ideas about God that perhaps we've picked up along the way. And those ideas are holding us back and robbing us of the rich and real life God intends for us. In fact, this might be a series that you might think would be a great one to invite a friend, family member, neighbor to these cards on your Cheers. Feel free to take as many as you want and invite them to the weeks ahead as we'll be covering subjects like I'm a good person, so I don't need God, or I can't believe in both God and science, or a good God can't exist in a world full of suffering. These are common misperceptions that sometimes uh, we've all held at one point or another or considered. We're going to tackle each one in the weeks ahead. So feel free to use these cards as an invitation to invite someone to church who might find that intriguing. We're going to dive into what Scripture says is true about God, and we're going to seek to dispel the myths and the myths, mistruths we might be carrying about God. And here's the one 
we're tackling today. God wants to ruin my fun. Is that true? Maybe we have felt like it at times, or maybe there's more to it. So let's start at the start and ask, where does this idea even come from? And let's define some terms. So fun, as I'm using it in our sermon this morning, is something that brings us pleasure and enjoyment. Remember those words, they're important, pleasure and enjoyment. Fun puts a smile on our face. Fun is a good time. We know fun when we're having it, right? And so uh, have you ever felt, though, that maybe all God wants to do is take that away, ruin your fun? Where did that idea come from? Well, in my mind, at least two things are happening. Number one, we've settled for a hollow version of fun. And two, we've picked up a boring concept of God somewhere along the way. So let's dive in to both. Somewhere along the line, we get the idea, perhaps, that none of the fun things in life have anything to do with God. That those two terms are kind of opposite. And then that many of the things that God directs us away from are actually fun. And so God wants to ruin my fun. So the question is, are these things that God says to avoid, are they really fun? And is any fun, pleasure, or enjoyment found over here in life with God? In Matthew 13, Jesus tells a two-sentence parable, a two-sentence story. It goes like this. The kingdom of heaven, life in him, life as he gives it, is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again, sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. That's it. That's the whole story right there. He says, life in me is this treasure that once you find it, you want to give up everything else so that you can enjoy it. And it's right here that we trip over the biggest misconception of them all. That the Christian life is about somehow keeping ourselves from doing a list of bad things. That that's what life in Jesus is all about. Just you gotta, There's a list of bad stuff, and you got to keep yourself from doing it. When actually, it's about finally being allowed to be your true self and to enjoy doing a list of really great things. Things so great, you'll stop thinking about that other list as being attractive at all. Now, we have, or can today, discover the treasure Jesus is talking about. Jesus said in John 16, when we do, our joy is complete, and no one can take it away. That sounds like permanent fun to me, right? So such joy is found when we stop looking for it every place else but its source. We live skimming over the surface of life, over the surface of things, and we may never stop to dig into God and dig into ourselves and find where we can truly discover lasting enjoyment, lasting pleasure, real, true fun. But if we're going to tackle this subject, we have to be honest. Going our own way, doing our own thing, is fun. Or it seems like it at first. Doing whatever feels good, guess what? Feels good. It really does. Hebrews 11 refers to enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. The Bible doesn't uh, pretend that doing things our own way and kind of pursuing our own pleasures does not have, in some essence, you know, at some level, some attractiveness to it. 
But it also talks about, for instance, in Proverbs, about sin, that's simply going our own way, ignoring God, doing things our own way, starts out as sweet honey and smooth oil, but it ends as bitter gall, a poison. So we think, perhaps, that God wants to ruin our fun, or what we call fun, the things we're told are fun, they actually often ruin us. Living for the weekend, the next vacation, the next big purchase, the fling, the hit, the award, the sales goal, the recognition, all of it is an endless treadmill, leaving us depleted, defeated, often alone. We need a fun upgrade. When God, and and this has been my experience, when God touches something, anything, he's always improving it. So when it comes to this issue of enjoyment of life, he redefines what fun is. And it's always, his version is always better. See, too many people walk around with this idea that the Bible is just a list of do's and don'ts. And all the don'ts are called sin, and all of that makes life a drag. And that's what we want to tackle today. It's misguided. Here's just a couple of uh, examples, for instance. Why does the Bible tell us to save sex until marriage and keep it within marriage? Isn't that putting a limit on pleasure? Well, really, it's quite the opposite. Because such intimacy is a gift from God. We have to recognize it as a gift from God. He knows then how it is best and most enjoyed in a committed marriage full of respect and care so that the deep bond that such union creates can reach its beautiful potential. Now, handling that, our our sexual integrity and our our sexual lives, handling, handling this in our own way, it's not the unforgivable sin, but in the end, it dilutes the real pleasure and enjoyment that the gift was intended to carry. It can rip us up. It can rip our heart out. It can drain our self-respect. It can leave us always searching. None of that is fun. Here's another for instance. Why does the Bible instruct us to not get intoxicated, to not get drunk? Well, that's really a no-brainer when you stop and think about it. Not only does it reveal an addiction that can eventually take us out, but drunk people do dumb things, right? Yeah, sure. Sometimes things that hurt other people or themselves. So it's really just good advice. And yet sex or intoxication, those are just two examples of something that the world would consider some of the height of what we might call fun. Absolutely worth pursuing and making sure we make room for it at every, and pursue it in every way possible. Now, we're free to reject that advice. Absolutely. But it doesn't yield anything good in our human lives. No matter how hard we try to convince ourselves we're having fun, Something in us begins to see we're fooling ourselves. What starts as honey turns to gall. So from God's perspective, he's not trying to make our life lame or beat us up with guilt. He's trying to take good care of us. He wants us to enjoy ourselves, but fully and for our whole lives. So we need not fight God or kick against him or call him a killjoy but rather enjoy him and the true life that he gives. Let me reach way back in history for just a second. 1648 was the year, and a group of Christians got together 
to clarify and state our beliefs as Christians in a way that people could learn and remember. And the result was called the Westminster Shorter Catechism. In its very first statement, this is what they said. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Enjoying God. The very first statement of what it meant to be a Christian contains the word enjoy. There was a recognition that this life we're talking about is not some drained and drab thing that we have to take on like, uh, you know, itchy clothes uh, that are out of fashion and then, you know, just uh, not enjoy ourselves from that point on. Instead, we're commanded to enjoy God. A holy life is a supremely happy one, though we don't often consider those things as going together, but they should. Let me explain. The sin, the evil, the temptation, the general selfish nastiness that separates us from God, draws us away from God, interferes with our relationship with God, carries with it a thin candy shell of pleasure. It can look good, feel good, taste good. And the way we get a grip on it and break its allure is not to fight it with willpower or self-condemnation, but to instead cultivate an enjoyment of God and discover that our pursuit of pleasure was not too strong, but too weak. We were settling for some thin candy shell over here that was really just hiding a bitter uh, sin and all of its bitter results, when instead infinite and eternal and deep and lasting and real pleasure is offered to us. And we, when we ignore that, thinking this is the, this is the way to go, we realize our pursuit of pleasure was actually not too strong, but too weak. We settled. As Matthew Henry, a Puritan pastor, great Bible commentator of the 18th century, put it so well, the joy of the Lord, enjoying God, like we're seeing here, will put our mouths out of taste for those pleasures with which the tempter baits his hooks. In other words, as we begin to enjoy God, the allure of the things that promise enjoyment don't really, we see them as the worm on the hook that they really are. In other words, we find superior satisfaction, can we call it real fun, in God. We see God and we say, this will be fun. So this is great. Being happy and joyful isn't counter to God's requirements. It helps us actually fulfill them. It's actually part of what it means to follow God. Life as God intended is meant to be enjoyed, not endured. So find the fun, right? God will help us. Sin can taste good. God always tastes better. So feast on God. Because friends, life is short. So enjoy yourself knowing that the best and the deepest and the longest lasting joy is found in serving and loving and living with Jesus. At least that's what we've discovered. That's the treasure we have tripped over, realized we have, and have left everything behind to enjoy. Now, the noun joy and the verb rejoice are used 136 times in the New Testament alone. A quick survey of Scripture reveals that God encourages and even expects those who follow him to be happy and joyful. Check this out. In Romans 12, we're to show mercy, but cheerfully. We are to give also cheerfully. We suffer loss with joy. We are to endure trials with joy. 
Psalm 37, we are to delight ourselves in the Lord. We are to be joyful always. We're reminded in Proverbs, a glad heart is good medicine. And in Philippians, we're told to rejoice in the Lord always. Those, that's just a small sample of all of those passages. Now, of course, God doesn't expect constant chirpiness, syrupy sentiment, right? Fake shows of happy-go-luckiness. That's not what we're talking about, just to keep up appearances. These aren't uh, commands that say, no matter what's happening in your life, be happy. We have bad days, tragic circumstances come our way, grief and sadness are an integral part of the human experience. But the Bible does make it clear that there's really no excuse for the believer in Jesus Christ to have an attitude, an ongoing attitude, that's negative, mean, or sour, or joyless. No elbow throwing right here, okay? Nothing else is to be said on this point. We can at least say this. As those around us who have yet to meet Jesus are getting to know us who do know Jesus, they ought to at least see that we are enjoying ourselves in this life that Christ has supplied. It's self-evident in that when bad and sad and unpleasant and tragic things happen, we aren't going to be happy about that. That's not what this is saying. But since we know that they will happen at some time and at some level to each of us, the question becomes one of sustaining some baseline of joy that keeps us bouncing back and not falling into despair. I have found that Jesus supplies exactly that baseline of joy. We should be having a good time redefining and deepening what a good time, a good life is. As Dorothy Sayer, she was an author, brilliant Christian thinker of early last century, said, where Christ is, cheerfulness will keep breaking in. You just can't go too long without some level of realization of how good Jesus is. So where does that cheerfulness, this joy come from? Why should, why should it be the expected outcome of the Christian life? Well, the first and most basic vein of what we're talking about here is what the Bible calls the wellspring of joy that is the joy of God's salvation. We read about it in the Psalms. It's the effervescent realization that your sins have been washed away, that you've been made clean, that you're right with God, your future is bright because God is there and is with you, that your home is in heaven, that you've really nothing to fear, nothing to dread, that in all the ways that count, you're set for life. You have a benefactor, that the crucified and risen Savior of the world has got your back. You just kind of realize that and then re-realize that, and it becomes a wellspring of joy, the joy of your salvation. Now, I'm not saying that's easy or automatic, only that the overall view of the Christian life seems to be that it is a joyful and good thing. It brings us pleasure, puts a smile on our face, and that, again, is a pretty good definition of fun. So I say all that to say that happiness is good and that the life lived for God and in God is, though hard times, those hard at times life can be, a supremely good and enjoyable and hopeful thing. It says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, hope in God who richly provides everything for our enjoyment. Check that out. Now, Paul is actually writing this advice to a young pastor named Timothy, and he's, he's asking Timothy to address this or share that fact 
with people who are wealthy, who are rich. He says, remind rich people to put their hope not in their wealth, which is so uncertain, he says, but to put their hope in God, who provides everything, provides everything for our enjoyment and does so richly. Wealth is uncertain. God is not. And when we base our joy on uncertain things, we just get jerked around. And being jerked around is, can we all agree, not fun. Okay? That's the opposite of fun. So the trouble is, we've been sold fake fun. But God richly provides everything for our enjoyment. So why do we settle? And what makes for real fun? couple observations. First, striving for more and more in this world uh, creates discontent in us. We want what we don't have. We're restless. Being content is not easy. Paul said at one point it was a secret that he learned. But in our striving for worldly success, for popularity, for what the world might define as fun, we become discontent, and it then robs us of our happiness and our joy. Not fun. A lot of these unrealistic expectations come from unfair comparisons which lead to envy. We compare our life to others or perhaps what we see on social media. We aren't good with being ourselves and enjoying the life God has given us, which leads to then unnoticed blessings and complaining. Right? None of that is fun. Speaking of complaining, I was remembering something. When, when Elijah was six years old, he got a card from my parents. They put it in the mail and sent it to him. And it was just a card to say, hello, we love you. It had a dollar bill in it. Maybe he could go get a toy or, or, something, uh, or something to eat or whatever. And he opens the card. I'll never forget this. He opens the card, takes out the money, looks straight at me and goes, all I ever see is ones. Never a five, never a 10. He's six years old. Yeah. Losing sight of the good things in our lives is the quickest way to be and stay unhappy, to drain ourselves of the fun. So it really is good advice to count our blessings. And of course, that's just a sampling of what steals our fun. None of that I just described is fun, and yet we all know it feels familiar. And honestly, we could go on with ever more serious things. The ways we try to forget our failings or our wounds instead of finding forgiveness and healing in Jesus, the things we do to create meaning or to feel worthwhile in our lives, all ephemeral, all empty, instead of treasuring the purpose and depth of life that Christ brings, we ask ourselves when we look at this, all the stuff we try to do, are we having fun yet? G.K. Chesterton once said, joy is the gigantic secret of the Christian. So let me apologize if we've kept it a secret. If we've given you, we Christians have given you, whether you're here with me in the room and you're checking out Jesus, you're, you're with us online, if we have ever given you the impression that life in Jesus is lame or boring, and let's be honest, maybe some Christians have, maybe most over the years, have given you that impression that God is boring and rigid, let me apologize. Deny yourself, which is something the Bible does teach and Jesus does say, doesn't mean hate yourself. And self-denial does not mean joy denial or fun denial. In fact, what it really means is denying ourselves of all these substitutes and wannabes that we thought might bring us joy, now we realize don't. And in fact, are just hollow promises that take us nowhere 
good. And that fun is actually denying our false selves so we can become our true selves. It's an ancient teaching. The Stoics, the Greeks, they would, they would tell us to take delight in the good and the true and the beautiful. Maybe that sounds familiar. I don't know if you were here at our Good Friday service, but when we walked out and saw that sunset, beautiful. I know an artist when I see work like that. It's a truth, right? Look into a newborn's face and remember that life is beautiful. Hold your open hand over your beating heart right now and know you are a miracle. And that is real joy. Let's have real fun by remembering the good and the true and the beautiful that surrounds us every moment when we see life through the lens of God. What we're talking about here, friends, is the realization that settling for temporary, empty pleasure is foolish. But upgrading to real, lasting, deep pleasure, the pleasure of a clear conscience, of mutually loving relationships, of a communion with our Creator, that makes a lot of sense. As it says in Psalm 16, you have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. That is the life God wants for each of his creatures, you and me, sons and daughters. So the fact is, I know for me, all jokes aside, living with Christ and serving Christ is the most fun I've ever had. It's a good time living for Jesus, sharing what that life with your brothers and sisters in Christ. There's a joy like no other that is found there. And if you're here today and you don't yet know Jesus, if you haven't experienced this joy of his salvation that we described earlier, then please know this. You can take that step today or whenever you do take that step. Know that you have a whole family here of people who are ready to answer your questions and most of all, celebrate joyfully with you. Amen? Jesus calls us on a joyful quest. He gives us a wonderful treasure, one that once we find it, we immediately see all else pales in comparison, and we discover just how much fun life can really be. Amen? I'm going to invite you to take your bread and cup if you grabbed one on the way in this morning. Every week, we pause to remember what makes all of this possible the death, the sacrificial death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Sometimes we use fun to escape what we want to forget, or we can redefine fun and embrace what we want to remember. And what we choose to remember each week is just how much we're loved, and it is fun to be loved. So let's take this bread and remember what it means, a body given for us. Let's do this in remembrance of him. And with the cup, we realize what our salvation cost, the love that sent Jesus to the cross, but the fact that now we have this gift of salvation, it gives us joy, a joy that cannot be taken away. Let's take and drink together. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the good words that we got to hear this morning from your Holy Scripture. We ask, God, that you would plant them deep in our hearts. Lord, remind us of their truth this week, 
Help us, no matter what happens or what we face or what we have to navigate, help us to remember, Lord, that no matter how south some things seem to go, we have joy in your salvation. Something that cannot change or be taken away. Something that is absolutely given to us and that we get to enjoy. A clear conscience, good fellowship, connection with you, our creator. We thank you for that and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.